0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Fort Myers Community Church.
1: For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Hello? Okay, awesome! (laughs) Good morning. My name is Kara. I am so excited to be up here with you guys this morning. Since I woke up this morning, I have just had, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And it has been a joy to worship with you this morning. And now I get to read God's word. So (laughs) we have been just soaking up the goodness of the Lord in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 13, and that's where I'm going to be again this morning, because we have more goodness. (laughs) So, um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some on tables in the aisles. Um, You can also open up the YouVersion Bible app um, and read with us there, but we would really love for you to hold and read the Word of God with us this morning. So, I'm going to go ahead and get started in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's hear it for Kara. Man, I
0: love it when she reads scripture. It's so good. All right, so I'm going to do something that I'm not supposed to do. If you take a public speaking class and, and you, like, get up, you're not supposed to talk about sports because then half the people in the room could care less. So I want you to raise your hand. Who likes football? Okay. it's good amount of you. Now, raise your hand. I'm not going to say you don't like it, but who's indifferent about football? Okay, so that's why you're not supposed to use analogies that are sports related. Um, but I'm just, I, I think that this is really good to just go here for just a second um, because I feel like this is really gonna set the stage for the passage that we're gonna be in today in Ephesians. So in the game of football, really in any sport, there are two opponents, right? So there's two teams that are battling it out on a field. And then you have everybody who's watching. Now, everybody who's watching can include a lot of people. So it's not just the crowd that's at the game. But, I mean, you've got, uh, you've got the, the crowd, people watching um, in the stands. You've got people who are on TV that are watching. You've got the cheerleaders. You've got the ushers. You've got the people serving the hot dogs and the peanuts and the popcorn. And so there's a lot of people who are surrounded and around this game watching in on what's going on. And then there is someone called a commentator. Now, the commentator is supposed to make known what has happened. That's what the commentator is supposed to do. So as it's happening real-time, and as it's happening, it just happened, what the commentator does is they make known what is happening on the field. And so they're not saying what's going to happen, right? They're not going to say, okay, this next play is going to be an interception. All they say is what's happening on the field and what has happened in the past. That's the job of the commentator. So you've got the opponents, you've got the people watching, and then you've got the commentator. Are we tracking? It's a sports analogy, but it's just the parts. Same with our faith, there are these opponents, some may say good and evil, but really it is an almighty God and his adversary, the devil, right? There are these two opponents, and then there's everybody watching. And just like at a football game, you've got the crowd who's in person, and you've got these people that are on TV we too, in, the, in, the, in our faith, there are the people watching, which is, is the world around us, the physical world. But then there's also this spiritual realm. S- often we don't even think or talk about this spiritual realm. We, but that's the people that are watching. There's, there's, there's people in the flesh. And am I getting a buzz? Does anybody know what that is? Sweet, thanks. Let's hear from for Miguel. Um, so there are the people watching, which are the people in the world, but then you've got this spiritual realm which we don't really even pay attention to often. You've got angels and demons and these spiritual forces that Scripture often talks about, but we don't like to press into because it's very mysterious and we don't really understand it fully, but it's happening. So in our faith, there is the opponents, there are the people watching, and then there are the commentators. And I'm going to propose to us this morning that the church are the commentators. The ones who are making known the victory of Jesus. So, I'm going to put a picture on the screen. Not yet, not yet. But there's going a picture on the screen. All I want you to, I don't want you to yell out names. I don't want you to yell out anything. I just want you to say, or just, I just want you to raise your hand if you know who's on the screen. Just raise your hand. Ready? Raise your hand if you know who this is. Raise your hand. Okay, that's that's a majority of you. Now, on the count of three, I want you to yell out who it is. One, two, three. Tom Brady. Okay, so why are you all assuming that I'm talking about Tom Brady? Because he's the one who was the champion. He's the one who was made known. But then there's a guy with him that nobody really – does anybody know his name? Maybe two, three, four of you, right? So so there's a commentator, uh, I don't even – Jim Nance – that people don't even know, but but what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to make known the victory of the champion. That is the role of the church. I am not acquitting Tom Brady to Jesus at all, right? So don't even go there. Um, what I'm saying is, is we, the church, are the commentators that get to make known the victory of Jesus. Sound good? I love it. All right, so let's dive in. Super excited about this morning. I want to um, read verses 10 and 11 because that's what we're going to be pressing pressing in on today. We try to go through uh, the Bible verse by verse and we take these these parts and then we break them down. So I want to read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I pray for us? Jesus, this is your word. You inspired Paul to write this so that we can read your heart and your mind, your plan and your purpose And so, God, I pray that this morning, that all the distractions that the enemy is trying to throw at us, that you would overcome, that you would soften our hearts and our minds to the goodness of who we are as your church to make your name, your greatness, your glory known for all generations. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so three truths that we're going to walk away with. And my first one I alliterated for you that are great Baptists. Here we go. (laughs) God has a people. God has a plan. And God has a purpose. God has a people, a plan, and a purpose. So here's where we see his people. Just right there, right off the start, verse 10, the church. The ecclesia, the called out ones, the people of, of God, This is a community of people. See, often in the contemporary church, we speak of the church in language of buildings, bucks, and bodies. But that's not the church. You can gather a lot of people in a building called the church and it not be the church. The church is when a group of people made in the image of God, come together, and it doesn't matter what race, what financial status, what job, what area you're from. It doesn't matter who you are, rich, poor, young, old. It's the people of God made in the image of God, called unto the name of God for the glory of God, worshiping him and him alone. That is what the church is. It's a people, not a place. And often, especially in America, we speak of the church as a building or a place. And we name it based off of a staff or a pastor. But that's not the church. The church is the people of God. You are the church. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So we gather this morning to make his name great. So that's why when Paul is coming in here, he's saying the church, the people of God, the ecclesia, those that gather together to make his name great, they are the ones called by God. So who gets to be a part of that? Well, one thing we know is that morality is not a factor in this. Often in our culture, we feel like it's the morality that makes us the church. But it's not our morality It's our humility and our submission to a holy God who has lived a perfect life on our behalf. So when we come into this, the people that belong in the church are not the upright stand up citizens. It is broken, hurting, mixed up, messed up people. That's who you are. You're welcome. But it's only in our admission of our own death that we have life in him. The only thing we bring to the table, what we talked about last week, is our sin. It's the only thing you bring to the table in your relationship with God. You're not coming, like, there is a story in Scripture that Jesus talks about, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee stands up and he goes, hey, look at me. And then he lists off all the great things that he's done. God, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Look at me. Look at my resume, God. And then way off in the back, this tax collector, who was a thief, a criminal, was was bowed over, beating his chest, saying, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Because he realized he brought nothing to the table. He did not deserve to be in the presence of the Almighty God. And you know what Jesus himself says? The one who leaves justified, saved, as as the people of God, as the church, is the guy in the back beating his chest saying, I'm a sinner. Not the guy standing up giving his resume. This isn't about morality. So those who belong are not the ones that are the upright and the moral. It's those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. Those that have admitted that they can't, but that he has, and he has finished it. I love what an old farmer said in 1741. His name is Nathan Cole. Nathan Cole. He's, he's a no-name. He's not like this famous pastor-preacher. He was a farmer and a carpenter. But his thoughts were recorded on record. And he, he was sitting listening to a pastor named George Whitfield, back in the 1700s. And he says this. Through my hearing, and what he's speaking there is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It gave me a heart wound. And by God's grace, my old foundation, which for him, it was that his morality saved him. My old foundation was broken up. And I realized my own righteousness could not save me. Paul in Galatians writes, He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Before you were born... He's pleased to open up your eyes to the goodness of the Lord. I was sitting in that this morning. I was sitting at Starbucks, and I read that, and I'm like, God, you you actually delight in revealing yourself to me, a sinner, only by grace, not because I deserve it. So he has a people, and then he has a plan. So this word here, it's the, he, ta- he says the manifold wisdom of God. I love this word manifold. It means ultra diverse, multicolored. In fact, this is the Greek word, but the Hebrew word is actually a counterpart to it, which is the same word that they use to describe uh, the coat of many colors for Joseph. It is this beautiful, artistic multi-diverse, amazing Sophia, which is intelligence. This intelligence that is the manifold wisdom of God, this ultra-diverse intelligence. See, his plan is beyond our understanding. It's like standing in front of the Grand Canyon and not even being able to wrap your mind around it. His intelligence is so grand, so great, so beautiful. It's like um, when I sit down with Tim Irick, one of our elders. He's a scientist. And I start talking to him about seeds and germination. And then he starts using all these words and I just sit there and I'm like, Huh? Right, Because he's articulating all of this knowledge and this wisdom of something that he has studied for years and years and years down to the molecular level. God, so far greater than that, has this intelligence, this wisdom that is beyond our comprehension and our understanding. That's why sometimes we can't understand his plan. We shake our fist at God going, why God, why did you do this? Failing to remember that his plan is far greater Than anything we can ever imagine. And we don't understand what he's working in us. And through us. And for us. But he delights in his children. And it doesn't matter what difficult moment we go through. Because I know some of you are going through it right now. Or you just came out of it. Or you're heading into it. But God has a plan that is grander and greater than anything you can ask, think, or imagine. And it is for his glory and for our good. Even when we don't think it feels good. Jesus is this plan. And, and we're gonna come back to this. I'm really excited about this part, but we're gonna come to this in a little bit. But there is a plan that he has ultimately is to glorify the name of Jesus. So it's his people, His plan. And then his purpose. He says this. The church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known according, in verse 11, to his eternal purpose. A purposefully set forth demonstration of who he is and what he's going to do to bring glory to himself. Now, I know that when we say that, like, God exists to glorify himself, all of a sudden that sounds awfully selfish, because if if I said that I existed to glorify myself, which often I do, um, that sounds selfish, right? But we have to understand that if God existed to glorify anything other than himself, then he would cease to be God. If he existed to glorify me, then who would be God in that situation? Me. Often I want him to glorify me, but again, that's selfishness. But he existing for his own glory is good and beautiful because he is God, he is ultimate. When was the last time you spoke a mountain into creation? I know I didn't yesterday. I barely sat around on the couch watching some football. He exists for his own glory, but this is beautiful and intentional. He must do it because there's an end in sight, and that end in sight is for our good and is for our glory. It's kind of like in the human world, it's like when I race with my kids. Um, you ever have a race with a little kid? What do you do? You say, Okay, I'm going from here to the mailbox, right, and you say, ready, set, go, and you, and you try to let them feel like they're in it for a little bit, and then, but, but listen, don't let them win all the time, all right, we're in a culture where we're letting kids win too much, right, parents, like, beat them, it's okay, they need to lose, they need to learn how to lose well, right, so, so you let them think that they're gonna win, and then you beat them in the last second, right, you, you blow past that mailbox before them, but then what do they do? They say, oh, no, just kidding, we're going to the tree, Right? And then they take off running again. So you say, okay, and you start running again, and then you beat them to the tree. And what do they say? No, 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 we're going to the the car over there. Right? They keep changing. They keep changing the ultimate goal, the ultimate output. That is not what God does. Since we're in time and, and since we have finite minds, sometimes when we're existing, we think that God is moving the goalpost because we don't understand his ultimate purpose. But God has one purpose, and his purpose is to bring glory to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he has given us Jesus so that one day we will be united with him in glory. That we could spend eternity in true joy and fulfillment and all of the stuff that you try to satisfy yourself with. Maybe it's food, ice cream, candy. Uh, it could be working out. It could be whatever it is. Stuff like that ultimately leaves us empty in the end. He is going to give us the fullness of everything that we ever could desire in him one day. That is the ultimate purpose. And so although in life things seem like, like the goalpost may be changing, it is not. It is ultimately for his glory and our good. And I know in the times of difficulty that's hard. I know in the times of difficulty, that doesn't always make sense. It's hard to wrap our minds around, but we have to remember what Paul is saying here. God has a people, he has a plan, and he has a purpose. And so in the moments we don't understand, we have to trust. That's what faith is. I don't know how many of you actually thought about sitting down today and if the chair was going to hold you. But instead, you just enacted faith and sat down because chairs are supposed to hold you. So much greater than that. There is a God who loves you and is for you. And no matter what, no matter how much weight you try to put and place on him, he will hold you to the end. That is his people and his plan and his purpose. So, we see now in verse 10 at the end, so that through the church... This manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul speaks of this often. Peter speaks of this. James speaks of this. Jesus even speaks of this when he is walking on earth. There is a real enemy. I think often we live as though there is no enemy, but there is a real enemy. God created a beautiful angel named Lucifer. It was one of the most beautiful of all of God's creations. And he created that angel to keep his eyes fixed and focused on God and worship of God and who he is. But that angel began to believe that his own glory was greater than that of God. And so we see in Ezekiel 28, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I was reading this, and this is speaking of Lucifer the angel, but also I was reading this, and I was like, man, this sounds like me often. Often. This is what the devil convinced Adam and Eve of in the garden. What he tries to convince all humanity of is that you are the center of all things. Your marriage exists for you. Your kids exist for you. Your job exists for you. Your neighborhood, whatever it is, exists for you. And the devil is speaking that to us day in and day out. But ultimately... That will only lead us to death and destruction. See, he is looking to destroy God and he is looking to destroy you. Isaiah 14 says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, I will make myself like the most high God. That's what the devil is trying to accomplish. That's what he's trying to do. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, we see that he, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Are you living your life continually reminded that there is someone out to get you? That the devil is laying in wait, He wants you to be isolated. He wants you to be alone. He wants you to be hurt and broken because that's when predators attack. That's what we tend to do. When we're in a really rough spot, we tend to isolate. We tend to go off on our own saying, I just need my own space. I need my own own this, right? And that's when the devil comes in, starts speaking these lies to us. But God didn't create you to live in isolation. He created you to live within the family, the church, and the devil has followers. Jude 1.6 And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal change, chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. There is a real enemy. But here's the good news for us. I know we can sit here and talk about this enemy, right? And we could sit here and it feels weighty, right? There's an enemy and he has followers and they're out to get us. Kind of sounds a little bit scary, like a horror film. But here's the good news. The victory has already been won in Jesus. That's the good news, right? So the victory has already been won in Jesus. Look at what he says at the end of this verse. The church has been created, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authority in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Jesus Christ. That word realized, you want to know what that word means? Accomplished. That he has accomplished in Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate the cross. Like, in all most of the historical context of a cross, it is a symbol of death. Like, we would look these days to um, a noose or an electric chair. Like, that's what the cross represented. It is where they placed criminals and to die because of crimes. And, and they, they murdered them. They killed them. That's what the cross is. But we celebrate the cross. Why do we celebrate the cross? Because that is where Jesus won his victory. A moment where the devil thought, here it is. I finally have a moment to shine. Jesus was enacting the plan that God had since the beginning of time. See, often when I I talk about this and read this, I've heard people say, Jesus is plan A. And I don't think that that's completely wrong. But by saying plan A, we're also saying that there could be then a plan B, C, D, or E. It's not actually just a plan A. It is the plan. It is the only plan. It is the only thing. Like this isn't option one. Jesus is the plan. This whole book is about Jesus and his victory that was planned out and purposed out from the beginning of time. And we have a world around us that is fighting us against us saying, Jesus is not the plan. And as the church, our job as the commentators is supposed to make known that Jesus is the victor and that he is the only plan. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no plan B, C, D, or E. There is no other way. You cannot add anything to this. You can't add your morality, your status, your stature, your political party. You can't tag anything at the end of this. It is Jesus, period. That is the good news of the gospel that we see here. Jesus, God, made his eternal purpose known through Jesus. It's his victory. And it's not a temporary victory. It's an eternal victory. I love what the great evangelist Billy Graham said. The cross shows us the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. It shows us the seriousness of our sin, but the immeasurable love of God. Paul, when he was writing to the Colossians, says, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He already won the victory. He already took the keys of hell from the devil. And we even see in the other passages I was reading that that the devil and his followers, they're actually bound by chains. And all throughout scripture, what we see is that they can only do what God allows them to do. They are not running rampant doing whatever they want to do. They are not sovereign. They are under the control of a mighty God. And he will only let them go so far like a dog on a leash. And so before we give the devil too much power in our lives, don't do that. Don't start pushing off everything to, oh well, the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. Listen, listen, listen. The victory has already been won. It is already accomplished. It is already over. Now, right now, we are living in this not yet state, but it's already finished. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished not to be continued. So, since it is finished, we can walk around and live in victory. That's what we can do as the church. So, as the commentators of this, life, this world, this existence, we get to make known the victory of Jesus to every man, every woman, and every child. That is the purpose of the church. So if I were to say there's a response to this when we're reading this, that so through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that God had realized, accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord is to understand that you If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered to Jesus as your Lord, meaning the ruler of your life, and Savior, meaning the only way, truth, and life, if that is you this morning, then you are a part of the church and you are an essential part to God's plan, his purpose, and his people. That's who you are. You are an essential part and I often think we downplay the role that God has for us within his body and his church. We have belittled Christianity to show up to something with a bag of popcorn and sit in comfy seats, eat and leave. And then we critique it on the way out. Eh, it was a five out of ten today. Right? Like we do every single movie that we go to or a concert. The church doesn't exist to entertain you. You are a part of the church to use the gifts that God has given you for his plan and his purpose. And if you're like, well, I really don't have any gifts, then you're belittling what God has done in you. God made you for a purpose. Stop belittling who God has made you. Ultimately, it's our own insecurities and our own lack of faith that stops us from living out, and that's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to convince you that you are worthless. The devil wants to convince you that you can't do anything. But God says that you are an essential part of his people, his plan, and his purpose. You're a part of something cosmic. You're part of something huge that can bring, like, do you understand that there are people in your life that will experience an eternity separated from the God who created them. And you have the gift of life to give them. Now, God doesn't say that it's your job to make them believe it. He says it's your job to make it known. That's your job to make it known. It's the Holy Spirit's job to transform them. 1 Corinthians 12:4 says that God gives a variety of gifts to each one who professes faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's the same spirit it says in 1 Corinthians 12, but a variety of gifts. And in verse 7, it says to each is given gifts of the spirit for the common good of the body. If you're not using your gifts, you're not being an essential part of his plan. You're not benefiting the common good of the people. And if you don't understand and don't know what those gifts are, we have ways for you to plug into that. But it does take time and commitment and margin to do that. That's why we have our community group set up. That's why we have our service teams set up. That's why we have all the things that we have in leadership development to help you understand what your gifts are and how you can use them for the benefit of the church. That's even why we do our membership class, which is coming up in October. Just because you go to the membership class, it doesn't mean you have to become a member here. It's a way for you to learn more about who you are in Christ and what God has called you to to be a part of his church. So often we just don't make the time to do these things. We don't make it important enough. And then years go by and we've not lived in through the power of the Holy Spirit with the gifts that God has given us for his church. And we're always saying, I get this daily. I hear often, well, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see if we like this church. We'll wait and see if we like this preaching, or this music, or this, or this, or this, or this. We'll wait and see. We're going to give it some time. But where do you see that in Scripture? God says you are a part of his church. So plug in. Be a part of it. And even me saying that, I know some of you are going to like stiffen up and be like, well, how dare you? No, no, no. Open his word and see that God has given you gifts, For the empowerment and the equipping of his church. So use them. And if you don't know what they are, allow the elders to walk with you to help you figure those things out. But we can't chase you. You have to give us, the elders, the opportunity to sit with you and talk through these things and equip and empower you in these things. Does that make sense? You're an essential part of God's people and God's plan and God's purpose. And I know we're all dealing with sin and struggles and the heartache of life. But I want to just think about some of the people that we know of in Scripture. Um, you've got the woman at the well. You've got the leper who Jesus healed. You've got the lame man that Jesus healed. When they were healed or when they were saved, they were given life by God by Jesus himself. Did they run into the city and like proclaim that they healed themselves? Did they run into the city and proclaim that they're awesome? No, what did they do? They ran to the people around them and told them about Jesus. That's what our job is. In our brokenness, in our shame, in our hurting, is to point people to the only one who has life. And when they say, yeah, but you're mixed up and messed up, you can say, yes, I am. But I believe in a God who has overcome all of that for me. It's his victory, not mine. Our job is to be commentators who make the victory of Jesus known. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna pray over us at this time. We're gonna take communion, and so some ushers are gonna come forward and place some communion on these tables. Um, This is an opportunity for us to, to remember what God has done on the cross for us. He was with his disciples, and he broke bread, and he handed it to them, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took this cup, he poured it out, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So what we do is we come and we we take the bread and we dip it in the juice. And this is a moment that we can go before the Lord and confess, and this is also a moment we can go before the Lord and rejoice in what he's done. And if you feel unworthy to come take this, that's good, that's a good place to start. But know that when you come take this, it is because of what Jesus said on the cross, that he has made you worthy. And so we confess and we repent. If you don't believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is not for you. Um, You can sit and meditate and think about what you believe and why you believe it. But for some of you, this may be the very first time that you place your faith in Jesus and do an act that's for him and his glory. And amen, we welcome you. We welcome you to partake in this because, because it is good. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. So if you have any questions about that, come find me, come find Tim, come find one of our our staff members or one of the host team members, the Connect team members. We want to share with you the good news of Jesus and what he's done for you. I'm going to pray some verses over us. Is that okay? As the band comes on up and as we get prepared for communion. Uh, And then whenever you're ready, as the band is playing, you can come and partake in this. I'm going to pray Romans 8 over us. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, church we can boldly and confidently approach our Father, come to His throne of grace with confidence, knowing in our time of need, we will receive mercy and forgiveness and love. God, thank you for your cross. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your plan and your purpose to make your name great. I pray that we could be the type of people that would exist to glorify your name and your name alone. That we would be a people that make known, make known the victory of Jesus to every man, woman, and child. God, in the moments where we are, our insecurity creeps in, in the moments we feel like we are unworthy, I pray that your Holy Spirit does what only your Holy Spirit can do, which is remind us that we have already been set free. Remind us that we have hope in Jesus alone. And as we come and partake of communion, God, I pray that you would so sweetly remind us that you love us and that we are an essential part of your people, your plan, and your purpose to make your name known. We love you. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Whenever you're comfortable, whenever you're ready, come and partake in communion as a church.